Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Now we've been, uh, we've been going through the life of David and learning a lot of different lessons and, you know, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath like a million times. Well, bear with me as you hear it for the million and first. Um, you know, I wanted to focus though on, on different things and, um, I mean, if you wanted to give it a title, some people would say it's the underdog that could or the most improbable and impossible victory. Or somebody else might say, expect the unexpected. Frankly, I chose giants. Now, for, uh, as, a, as a New Yorker, you know, for, for Patriots fans, you know, th- this title for the sermon might, might give them a little stomach ache, and not because they overrate at Thanksgiving but probably because of what we did to them back in 2008. But, you know, uh, anyways, shout out to the Trots. Love you guys. Um, so the idea is, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. But my hope and my prayer today is that you will leave with this. When we appear weak, God is at his peak. When we appear weak, God is at his peak. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Loving Lord, we come to worship you because all our delight is in you. You're worthy to be praised, and we shouldn't really ever stop thanking you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, for everything that you do for us. And Lord, as I've asked you before, Every time I stand in front of your children, I just ask that you may speak to me, for me, and through me. Because I want you to be lifted up, and I want you to draw all men, women, and children to you, because at the end of the day, it's all about you. You're the one that matters. So allow us to hear a voice from you, that still, small voice. Help us to be receptive. And we thank you for your presence here in this place. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. So giants... So I'll share a quick background on what's happening. The story is going to take place in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And um, in, because of time, I'm going to just ask you to read it at home. And um, I'm just going to touch on different parts of the story. So the Israelites and the Philistines uh, were there in the Valley of Ella. And they were, um, you know, at war, supposedly. It was more like a, a staring contest for 40 days. You know, we know that that uh, Goliath had come down into that valley, and, and he was just letting them have it. And uh, we're told that, that the Israelites were afraid. They were also afraid. You know, and, and the reason why they were in that stalemate or in that staring contest was because no one wanted to fight Goliath. No one. I wonder why. So let's talk about Goliath for a moment, right? So Goliath, we're told, was tall. I mean, we were told he's six cubits and a span tall. You translate that to today, and some people say he's between nine and, and 11 and a half feet tall. 
Well, recently, scientists said he's more, he was more like six foot nine. Now, to be honest with you, uh, I don't know that six foot nine is, is very scary. Um, it, in my uh, middle school and high school days when I played basketball, I had to go up against some kids who were six nine in high school. I don't know how that happens. But anyhow, the idea was they weren't that scary. Um, so, because it's unclear exactly just how tall Goliath was, my happy medium is going to be ten and a half. That seems a little bit scary, right? Um, so he was tall. Now, on top of that, he was scary. We're told that, that his bronze armor weighed a whopping total of upwards of 250 pounds. That's a whole lot of weight. And on top of that, we're told that he had no vulnerabilities in that armor. There were no weak points. So he was tall. He was scary. Goliath was also very loud. We're told that for 40 days he had been screaming at the Israelites, yelling at uh, obscenities at them and just telling them how weak their God is due to their behavior. Now, after 40 days, I must be honest, I believe that they already knew what he was going to say. I mean, how much material can you really come up with 40 days of yelling at, 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 at you know, your foes? Any, anyway, so, so he was tall, he was scary, he was loud, and uh, my humble opinion is he was ugly. Now, you may be asking yourself, where did I get that? Well, in, in verse 42 of 1 Samuel 17, it says that when he sees David, he looks at him with disdain and disgust because David was dark, young, and handsome. You know, kind of like Calvin Scott or, or Gershana Shea or, or maybe even Tanner Griggs. So, you know, among a few. And the idea is this. His appearance was so, so frightening that the Israelites were in a psychological stranglehold. Nobody wanted to step up. Nobody wanted to, to answer the call for what was taking place. But you know what? As impenetrable and as daunting as Goliath may have seemed, what if I told you that he was actually weak? I'll show you a little bit more of that here in a little bit. But let me tell you about another one of the main characters, Eliab. Now, Eliab was David's older brother. And how interesting at times that, that the people who can most easily hurt us or get on our nerves is our family. Yeah, you got one amen. Awesome. Thank you. So, so the idea is, you know, David, the first one who he hears from and reprimands him is his own brother. Listen to what he says to him in verse 28 there in 1 Samuel 17. He says, I know the pride and insolence or evil that is in your heart. You have come down just to watch the battle. Obviously, Eliab was completely mistaken. As a matter of fact, David came because his dad sent him to bring food. It was so interesting to me. But I believe Eliab had no idea what was in David's heart, really. I think he was just projecting. And you know what? Sometimes people tend to do this. Sometimes people say things about us without even knowing us. So I have something that I want you to take. Don't believe everything people tell you about yourself. And also, don't let people tell you who you should be. How about this one? 
Don't forget, ever, that you are a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So it doesn't matter what everyone else has to say about you or what everybody else thinks about you. What matters is what God thinks about you. Man, I thought I'd get more amens out of that. All right. So, thank you, thank you. So I believe that Eliab was upset. Obviously, his words and his tone says that. And, and, and Brene Brown, she defines anger as a secondary emotion, one that only serves a socially acceptable mark for many of the more difficult underlying emotions that we feel. This is a secondary emotion. So it would be safe for me to surmise that Eliab's emotions were all over the place. First of all, he might have been jealous of David because he was anointed king, not Eliab. This had just taken place. On top of that, okay, he was scared of Goliath. Now, let's add to that that he must have been hungry. I mean, Jesse sent David with food for a reason, right? So he might have been hungry. And I know that most of you are too, but bear with me. I'm a third of the way through. It's okay. So what we're not being told, though, that's happening right now is that Satan was trying to instill fear even in David. Because, you know, how, what a coincidence that once David arrives to the scene, okay, is when Goliath decides to get on his soapbox once again. Pretty interesting. There was another main character that also had a role to play, and that was Saul. Now, Saul, okay, was the king of Israel. He was supposed to be Israel's champion. So when these armies decide to, to, to limit the bloodshed and they decide to choose their best fighters and have them go at it so not everybody else has to die, right, you know, you would think that the king would answer that call. Not to mention that we were told Saul was taller than everybody else in Israel. So technically, just like the Philistines had Goliath, a giant, you would say that Saul was Israel's giant. But was he doing what God had asked him to do? Was he answering the call that was before him? He obviously wasn't. But then you know what he does? He hears that, that there's a rumor that, that somebody in the camp called Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine that had no business offending the army of the living God. He was like, wow, there's actually somebody who, who, who has the courage to say this. They must have the guts to go ahead and fight Goliath, so bring him to me. Now, much to, to Saul's dismay, when he sees David, he's like, oh, he's a young lad. And one would say that, well, he, he, he had um, some kind, I guess, good intentions in the sense that he saw David wasn't wearing any armor. And after David convinces him, hey, look, I've killed lions, I've killed bears and been protecting my father's flock, I'm, I can fight this guy. Then he says, okay, not willing to do what he's supposed to do and, and, and allowing somebody else to take his responsibility. He's like, sure, all right, fine, then you can do it. But if you're going to go out and fight, you have to put some armor on. So I'm going to give you mine. Some people argue that, that, that he really didn't have good intentions. What he was trying to do was take the praise that if this, if this kid actually beat Goliath, then they would think it was him. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, he would just, 
well, this kid, you know, let's, let's try to protect him. And he tried to put his armor on the child. But we told, he, he didn't wear that. David didn't wear armor, so he couldn't wear somebody else's armor to try to fight. Here's the lesson. A lesson for us. Fight in your own armor. Fight in your own armor. There are special gifts and special talents that God has given you specifically. And God is asking you to fulfill the role that he has for your life. So maybe you can't preach or I can't preach like Dave Ferguson or Chris Eckenroth or or Reginald Horton. Maybe I can't pray the way that, that Pastor Sherry Smith can. Maybe I can't lead worship the way Pastor Jim Moon can. Maybe I can't lead a small group the way Pastor Tim Cross can, nor can I instruct children the way that Pastor Carol Verrill can. I can't administrate a church the way J. Cole does, nor maintain it the way Von Shudry does. I can't communicate the way Sherry Williams does, nor manage an office the way Debbie Maupin does. Man, we're blessed. Post-Thanksgiving, we have to be grateful for the blessings that God has given us, and our church is blessed with an amazing staff. But God isn't asking you to be like one of them or one of us. He's asking you to be you, to be the you that he asked you to be. So fight in your own armor. You know, I I love the fact that, that God is willing to use anyone who is willing to allow him to. Even this young lad to go out and have the courage to fight a giant. Now, Saul accepts that David is not going to use his armor. And David chooses to go out with five stones in a bag, a sling, and a staff. So let's talk about this David. So David was a young shepherd boy, and he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. He was the youngest of eight brothers, eight. Yet he was the one that was a man after God's own heart. How do we know this? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and all of his sons line up in front of him, David is not there yet. The one he focuses on is Eliab. And he says, surely with his stature and his looks, Eliab has to be the next king. And God immediately reprimands Samuel and tells him, look, you look and man looks at what's in front of them, but God looks at the heart. So even before David was even anointed, he was already someone who was in tune with the heart of God. It's amazing to say. I love it. So David comes out, and he's about to, to, to fight with this, with this giant. And this giant sees him and says a whole bunch of stuff. And look at what David replies in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. Listen to what David says. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, giants, a lot of times we use that metaphor to talk about those trials and those challenges that we face in our daily lives. These battles that we continue to wage within this, this war for our souls. 
And I believe that the way that we have the victory over these particular giants is in what David said. We receive victory in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in, in my armor. It's not in my abilities. It's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thought it was amazing that, that he was able to, to point that out. Because there's some of us in here who are struggling with sin. There's some of us in here who are struggling with, with an addiction. There's some of us in here who are struggling with illness. Some of us experience cancer. Some of us have lost a loved one. We've lost our family. Some of us have lost our jobs, our homes, our cars. We, we experience loss on a daily basis. But I'm here to tell you, dear ones, that when you face it, don't face it with your strength. Face it in the name of the Lord. Understand that your strength to carry on comes from using the name of the Lord. Not using my name, not using your name, using God's name. Because, newsflash, he's already won the war. We're fighting against a defeated foe, and God wants to give us the victory too if we're willing. Willing to surrender and say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. Not my way, but your way. Not in my name, but in your name. That's why I'm telling you, when we appear weak, God is at his peak. Because when I feel I can't go on, guess what? God shows up right on time. When I'm facing that, 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 weakness, when I feel that my strength is gone, God shows up right on time. When I feel that I can't go on and I ask him, you know, is this, is this really my fate? He shows up right on time. He's always there and he wants to give us the strength to win. So when we appear weak, yeah, God is at his peak. And like we were saying during worship, you know, Paul says this, but, but Christ really was the one who spoke to him first. Red letters to help you see what, what Christ says here. But, but, but listen to what, what Paul said when he had a thorn in his flesh that he wanted God to take from him. He says, Christ speaking, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. So listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, I will boast all more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many of us want Christ's power to rest on us? Then if that's the case, dear ones, we too should be able to rejoice and boast in our weaknesses. But he continues. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. So it's not my strength. It's his strength. So I do believe that when I appear weak, God is at his peak. Now, I told you that Goliath, he was weaker, right? So I got to go back to him real quick. I got this from Malcolm Gladwell. He is a Canadian journalist who is also a renowned author and a bestseller. And he wrote this book, David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. And he suggests that in this story, Goliath was actually the weak one. 
See, scientists weren't satisfied with knowing that Goliath was kind of an anomaly in his time. He was, he was different, right? So, so they say, or they diagnose Goliath with uh, something called acromegaly. Now, for those of you who don't know what acromegaly is, it's an abnormal growth of the hands, feet, and face caused by an overproduction of the growth hormone due to a tumor that is pressed against the pituitary gland, thus causing you to grow more than everybody else. Now, it's very interesting because then uh, his position that of acromegaly, then we thought that Goliath also had other brothers that were giants too, because David took five stones, right? And we were told that maybe it's because he, he thought he might have to battle them too. But there is a common um, side effect, if you will, to acromegaly, okay? And, and you suffer from nearsightedness, we're told, and, and Goliath needed a guide. He needed someone to guide him down into the valley where he was going to do battle. Also, he, he in verse 43 tells David, uh, you know, am I a dog that you come with me with sticks? Now, we know that David only had one staff or a rod, and Goliath here talks in the plural. Now, I went to the original to make sure that this was the case, and sure enough, it was written in the plural. So the idea is that he probably saw more than one. Now, I believe that the biggest challenge that Goliath had wasn't so much that he was nearsighted or that he suffered from macromegaly. Fine, that's the great information that he shares there. But I believe that the biggest challenge Goliath had was that he was going up against a son of God that depended on God. So he could have suffered from whatever. The mere fact that David relied and depended on God is what made him vulnerable and made him weak. Now think about this. Auntie Ellen tells us, and Auntie Ellen is how I refer kindly uh, to Ellen White, for those of you who missed my first sermon, which was almost a year ago. Wow. <laughs> Time flies, right? Okay, so, so the idea is, this is what she tells us. She tells us that when Goliath and David were charging towards one another, Goliath in his anger made the mistake of knocking his helmet back, thus exposing the forehead where David hit him with the rock. So I don't care how clumsy Goliath might have been or what he might have suffered from. I believe it was God who was setting David up for the win because David was trying to lift God up when nobody else was. It's not by happenstance, dear ones. It's not by happenstance that, that David won because the truth is this. You and I, the giants that we face, God says he will give us the exit. There is no temptation that overcomes us that we cannot bear with his help. So it doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter the challenge that is before you. Understand that God can give you the victory over that giant in his name. I don't know what the challenges are that you're facing, but you know what? He wants you and me to have the victory because that's what he's about. Look. I'm okay with being weak because I understand that when I am weak, God is at his peak. But there's another nuance to this particular story that I, I don't want you to leave without because I think Malcolm Gladwell did nail this. The big issue in this story is advantage. 
Now you'll be saying, well, what do you mean advantage? Well, in war, advantage is crucial. Do you agree? Okay, a few of you agree. Okay, so the idea is in war, having an advantage helps you win, right? And if you're at war, you want to win. But, but in this spiritual war that we find ourselves in, how are we using our advantage? See, the Israelites and the, and the Philistines didn't go into the valley to battle because whoever went into it was now at a disadvantage because the other team is on higher ground, or the other army. So the idea is, you know, how are we using the advantages that God has given us? Are we using it for my benefit? Or am I using this advantage for the benefit of others the way God has asked us to? You might be saying, well, well, what kind of advantage are you talking about? Well, well, how about this? Uh, let's go back to the main characters of the story. Goliath used his advantage, okay, for his own glory. Because that's how he was named the champion of the Philistines. Eliab used his advantage of being the older brother to scold his younger brother, David. Saul used his advantage as king to have someone else fight the battle or fulfill the responsibilities that he had as king. But you see, David, the man after God's own heart, he used his advantage, which was an apparent vulnerability, to lift up the name of God. So I ask you, what are we doing with the advantages God has given us? What types of advantages? How about the advantages of biblical knowledge and maybe even our religion? Are we using it to, to, to spread this good news and, 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 and to win souls for Christ's kingdom? And, and how about to be inclusive and not exclusive? Are we using our advantage of, of, of the positions of power and influence that we have to influence people in a positive manner, in a way that they say truly, there goes a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ? Are we using our advantages of scholastic accomplishments and degrees to lift up Jesus Christ? Using what we're learning to, to continue advancing this work so we can go home? Are we using our, our advantages that, that God has given us as it pertains to our social status? The fact that here in North America we're, we're, we're blessed. We are more rich than many people around the world. But are we using this, this advantage to God's glory? How about the spiritual gifts and talents, the advantages of the spiritual gifts that God has given each and every one of us? Are we using it or are we just sitting on them? It's a story about advantages and disadvantages. And if I stop and I look post-Thanksgiving, there's a lot to be thankful for because we have a lot of advantages. And God is asking you and he's asking me to use these advantages for his glory because he wants to come soon. And he wants us to be ready. So he delays for our own benefit. So I ask you, how are you using your advantages?
You know Jesus? Jesus, who came to this earth as fully God and fully human, never used his advantage of being fully God in his benefit. As a matter of fact, what Jesus did was he used that advantage to be a blessing to those around him. On top of that, even though he appeared weak on the cross, through his death, we have life. Through his resurrection, we have hope. And now, through what he's accomplished, you and I have something great to look forward to. So I ask once again, how are you using the advantages God has given you? Are you afraid of your weaknesses? Because the reality is when we appear weak, dear ones, God is at his peak. When we appear weak, God is at his peak. It reminds me of a story. It reminds me of a story of this 10-year-old boy. Now, this 10-year-old boy suffered a terrible accident. And in that vehicular accident, he lost his left arm. Now, after many years of, of going through process and, 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 and healing and what have you, he decided that he wanted to take on the art of judo. Judo is a type of martial art. And he found a Japanese sensei or, or instructor who was going to teach him how to perform judo. And the story goes that, that after three months, he realized that his sensei had only taught him one move. Three months, one move. And he finally goes to his sensei and says, Sensei, shouldn't I be learning more than just one move? And the sensei tells him, if you learn this move, it is the only move you will ever need. So trusting his sensei, he continues practicing this one move. And we're told that, that after many months of practicing the move, his sensei felt he was ready for his very first tournament. And we're told that when he went to the tournament, he went and he, he noticed that in his very first uh, uh, a match, he won pretty quickly. He was surprised. And we're told that, that he continued on, and, and as he continued in the tournament, every match kept getting a little more difficult and a little more difficult, but he continued to win. And he went all the way through the tournament till he got to the final. And in the final, now his opponent was, was much bigger, much stronger, much wiser. And right when they started, they started jostling and, and they started doing different things. And, and we're told that, that, that the referee watching uh, how this, this other kid was so much bigger and so much stronger, he called a timeout. And he goes to Sensei, he says, Sensei, your, your, your kid may have to forfeit. We don't want him to get hurt. And the sensei looks at the referee and says, no, 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 go on. Let, let, him, let him keep going. Let, let, him, let, him, let him try. And we're told that shortly after the, the match began once again, uh, the, the opponent let his guard down for a, for a brief moment, and, and the kid went in quickly, and boom, he did the move. 
and he won the tournament. It was amazing. And, and we're told that after the, after the tournament, you know, he and the sensei sat down and they reviewed every single match, every single move. And they were talking about how, how this happened. And, and, and the boy mustered up the courage to turn to the sensei and say, Sensei, how is it? How is it that I won this tournament with only one move? And the sensei told him, you won for two reasons. Reason number one, you almost mastered the hardest move in all of judo. And then secondly, he told him, the only known defense for that move is that the opponent will grab your left arm. Dear ones, when we appear weak, God is at his peak. You may have different challenges. There have been times that you've tried and tried and you've messed up time and time again. But God is telling you and is telling me there's only one move you need. And that move is to come in the name of the Lord. Not in your strength not in your knowledge, not with your armor. Come in the name of the Lord. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you that if you want to say thank you, Lord, for what you've done, I want to surrender to you and I want to face my life's challenges in the name of the Lord, I want to invite you to stand. Praise the Lord. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And we're praying, Lord, thank you that when we appear weak, you are at your peak. And you don't depend on us having to fight these battles that we're waging. You're not asking us to, to do the impossible. You're just asking us to come in the name of the Lord. You're asking us to surrender our lives to you and to walk with you. To understand that this war has already been won and these battles can also be won because you will never let us face more than we can handle with your help. But Lord, if we are busy carrying these burdens, I ask that you may help us right now to let go. And to say, I am no longer going to fight on my own. I'm going to come and fight in the name of the Lord. So, Father, we just say thank you. Thank you for giving us that example of how we need to be selfless. How we need to use our advantages for your glory. And thank you for choosing us. As we leave this place, Help us to use these advantages to grow your kingdom, to spread this word, this good news, so we can go home with you. Thank you for Jesus. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.